versus failure and how we define it as Christians. So, and the idea that neither, neither success nor failure is final. Remember the passage here in Joshua 1, 1 through 9. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Remember, we saw this. That first there's a promise that God will be with him. God said, I will be with you. And then because of that, he says, verse 6, be strong and of a good courage. There's no, reason, there's no reason for us to think we can be strong and courageous unless we know that the Lord is with us, right? That's the, you've got to anchor those two or connect those two statements together. I'm with you in verse number 5. And then verse number 6, because of that, you can be strong and courageous, we're all going to face things that, that challenge us, things that, that seem to overwhelm us. We've got to be courageous in the face of that kind of adversity. But we can do that when we remember that God is with us. Now, so be, of, be strong and have a good courage. Why? Well, because Joshua, you've got a big job ahead of you. You've got a big task ahead of you. This is a big task. It's not, this isn't a small assignment. This isn't a little thing. He says, you're going to go and divide for an inheritance of the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. So again, verse 7, Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. The key to his success, the key to his the Lord promises this to define success, our responsibility isn't to seek after success. Our responsibility is to obey and trust, to trust and obey. That's simple Christian living is we trust God, we obey God, and then he defines what the success of our life is going to look like. <laughs> We're having major technological issues today, so just bear with us. So God is going to, God is going to define what success or failure looks like. That's really important, okay? Because things are not always going to turn out exactly how we thought they were going to, right? Pay no attention to the man behind the screen. It will distract you. He's going to get it back up. And we just, all right, I'm going home. Success or failure is not final. All right, we're all good now? <laughs> oh, my word. What? Yes, blessed. Oh, my goodness. It felt like I was on a roll, too, you know? <laughs> you don't. So anyhow, we trust God, we obey God. Success is defined by Him. That is super important, okay? Because your emotional stability cannot be based... I'm just telling you from experience right now, okay? This is just real for me in recent days. Your emotional stability cannot be determined 
by how the outcome worked out, okay? You can't live and die by what you expected success to be. You can't live and die by how your, your, you, you, the education that you hoped your kids would get or the, um, the house that you thought you would live in or how well your job would go or how your life financially is turning out. You're going to set after things. Sometimes you're going to succeed in your eyes, and sometimes you're going to fail in your own eyes. Okay? It's just going to happen. That's life. We're going to, but we are not the ones who define success and failure. You understand that? So if we go out, if we go about to do something and we think, okay, I'm going to, let, let's just use a super, um, like a worldly example, right? Like, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go, I'm going to get this job, and then I'm going to save all this money, and then I'm going to buy this, and then at this point, when, like right now I'm 25, and then when I'm 35, and then when I'm 45, this is the way my life is going to go. It may go that way, and it may not go that way, right? Of all of the amazing ideas and ambitions that people have in life, how many of them actually come to fruition? Not a lot, to be honest with you. Now, you're like, boy, you're here to crush my dreams this morning? <laughs> like, like, you know, it, especially young people that are in here. You're going to set out to accomplish a lot of things in your life. You ought to do that. You ought to have dreams, ambitions, and goals. You ought to run after them. But your ability to achieve those things is not going to define your success or failure in life. Because if that's how you, if that's how you determine things, you'll be depressed most of the time. Because even when by other people, other people will look at you and say, wow, you've been pretty successful. But you will always in the back of your mind think, yeah, but I didn't do this. Yeah, but I never achieved that. Yeah, but, yeah, but. And you will always view yourself as a failure. However, if you can lay your head on your pillow at night and say, you know what? I've walked with God. I've obeyed God. I've done, I'm doing what he's asked me to do. And he gives me the results. Then that's a place of peace. That's a place of contentment. What did Paul say? Paul said, I know both how to be abased and how to what? Abound. He says, I know how to have very little, but I also know how to have a lot, which seems to indicate that there were times in Paul's life where the world would view him as being successful. He had a lot. Things were going well. But there were other times in life where he had very little. But he learned how to be successful and how to be unsuccessful, so to speak. And we're using that terminology, right? But if you're thinking that, well, if th that's not what God says. God says, I got a big job for you, but this is what I want you to focus on. I want you to focus in verse 7 on being strong and courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. And then he says again, verse 8, this book of the law, shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. If you don't have those verses memorized, I, have the, I was fortunate enough to be raised in Christian school, and they made us memorize these verses. So, But if you didn't have somebody make you memorize it, memorize this. 
This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. When you've got those things memorized in the back of your mind, you can go back to them and remind yourself, hey, I'm obeying the word of God, I'm walking by faith, God will determine how things turn out. Right? God's going God's to determine all those things. And there are things in the life of a family, things in, the li- in your personal life, things in the life of a church or a business that are out of our control. But what is in our control is our obedience to the Lord and our confidence in his word. Amen. So let's look at a couple of principles that Brother Sisk reminds us of based on this. Um, mature believers, so this is on your handout now, mature believers understand that a Christian can become successful in spite of failures because of God's incredible grace and forgiveness. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 12.9 says this, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me? Now, I would say, I would tweak his statement a little bit based on this verse. Mature believers understand that a Christian can become successful in spite of failure. I would say, or inadequacies. Failure or inadequacies because of God's incredible grace. What he's saying, what Paul reminds us of in this this verse is God isn't looking for impressive people. Right? God isn't looking for impressive people. God is looking for available people who are weak people. Because God wants to be glorified. He doesn't want, he's not about glorifying us. It's not about us being glorified. So God doesn't, isn't, isn't impressed by us and he doesn't need us. The good thing is, so if you say, yeah, but I am inadequate. I can't, I don't have these talents. I don't have these abilities. I don't have this strength. Well, this is your verse then. This is your verse. He says, I will, in the middle of the verse, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Let's update the language. In my disabilities. That's what he's saying. That's what an infirmity is. It's some physical thing that he's carrying with him. He says, I'm going to glory in my disability so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You say, well, the deck is stacked against me or I, have, uh, I, 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 I'm, I don't have the financial means or I don't have the physical means or the intellectual or the educational means. Well, our success as Christian is, isn't dependent on those things. And a mature Christian realizes, hey, it's, I'm the conduit. God's power flows through me. Now, the other side of this is that as Christians, sometimes we do make sinful mistakes. But God's grace is there for that as well. There's hope beyond that. In fact, if we go on to the next statement... The next statement is this, the mature believer <clears throat> seeks to use failures 
as lessons for growth and change. As opposed to what? Sometimes Christians blow it or they, make a, they fall into sin and what's the, what's the reaction? Huh? Forget? What do you mean? Forget it. If you can't do it, forget it. Right. Forget it. I tried the Christian thing. It didn't work. So, you know, I, 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 I didn't become the perfect Christian. I failed. I give up. Yeah, that's a pretty common... That happens a lot. And we... It's a double-edged sword, right? Because like the passage, like I'm going to preach in a few minutes today some of Jesus' commands about how we should live as Christians. Things about marriage, and things about honesty, and, and these behaviors that Christ expects of us. We have to talk about those things. We have to talk about righteous living because that's what we're called to, right? But we also have to understand that there's grace for people who fall from that standard. And there's a second chance. God is, the, God is in the business of, of second chances, restoring people. Christians will fail. Christians will, dis- it will happen. Now, we should all pray that it doesn't, but we've got to be ready. How is it fine, like, with some churches and, uh, you know, like, there's not a good group, like a base group to help build those people up that do fall? Right. Like, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ should be helping those that fall. And right. And I find that some people, if they don't have that support... It's easier to walk away than it is to lean on people within the church to help build them back up in the faith. Right. Is this a place where someone will be... It, right? It's that balance. Yeah. ...aspect of being in the church. Right. We don't want to be... We, there's a ditch on both sides of the road, right? There are, you could be in a church where, where the emphasis is just, you know, it doesn't really matter how you live, everything is accepted. That's wrong as well, Right? There has to be a standard of righteousness, but then there has to be enough love and compassion there to know that when somebody does fall, that they can come back. And not like, well, you, you didn't meet our standard, because we all realize we are not the standard. Jesus is the standard. And so we are in the business of just connecting and reconnecting people to Jesus. Just get like, okay, you were close to the Lord, you fell away from the Lord, let's get you back to the Lord. Not back to us so that, it's not about us. It's not about, like, well, I don't want to be associated with someone that would behave that way. It's nothing like that. It's about, hey, how can I bring this person back into a relationship with the Lord? So that's really good. What were you going to say, Terry? So, getting back on the right path. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So now, what if you find yourself in a place where you've failed? You've failed. And there's an area of your life where, like, yeah, I... I I didn't do what Christ expected of me. Well, the mat- a place of maturity says, well, I'm going to use this as an opportunity for growth and change. Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. <clears throat> for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you plant it, you're going to harvest it. Right? So if you have... If you as a Christian make a mistake and you plant a sinful choice, you're going to reap a painful consequence. Okay? If you, if you, uh, if you sow seeds of discontentment with your spouse and lust in your heart and flirtations with, with other people, do not be surprised if eventually you harvest an affair. 
right? Because you're planting fleshly seeds. If you plant those seeds, you're going to get a harvest. Now, so what we, when we start to experience these, these negative harvests, we need to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, let me learn from this and see what I can do, see what I can do to, to plant spiritual seeds now. Or I can look back and say, well, boy, I made that mistake in the past, so now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to re-focus uh, on my life. So the second one is verse number eight. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So maturity says I'm not going to be perfect. I may fail, but I'm going to learn from that. I'm going to grow. I'm going to change. If you may make a mistake yesterday, the worst thing then is to repeat that mistake. Right? But say, I'm going to grow in this area in the Lord. When mature believers fail, they acknowledge their failure and learn from their mistakes. They acknowledge their failure and learn from their mistakes. Now, that's an interesting one right there. That whole point of acknowledging failure. I was having a conversation with somebody. I don't remember who it was recently. What happens, what needs to happen when a Christian fails in sin? What needs to happen first? Conviction happens. It's brought by the Holy Spirit. And then what has to take place? Repentance has to take place. And confession. Now, then restoration. But that's a journey, right? There are, it's steps. Our psychology world likes to talk about steps, right? The psychology world likes to talk about steps to... Um, grieving, you know, you've got to, if you skip a step, you're going to have to, eventually, you're going to have to go back through that. And for all different kinds of emotional situations in life, there are steps that we go through that they've observed. Well, spiritually speaking, restoration never happens unless you go through the steps. But a lot of people want to fast forward past all the uncomfortable steps and go right to the restoration. Even like in the story of the prodigal son. He went through the steps, didn't he? He didn't just, he, he wasn't just immediately restored. He said in his life, he said in his life, I have sinned. My, I'm not any more worthy to be called my father's son. There's repentance in his life. He says, I'm not no longer worthy to be called my father's son. I'll go back and I'll just say, hey, make me a servant. But when he comes back, the father embraces him and fully and completely restores him. Right? But don't miss the journey that the prodigal went through. The journey was repentance. What happens, I think, in modern Christianity is I've observed this. I've observed, not in our church per se, but I've observed in life, somebody has an affair, they get divorced, they get remarried. Next thing you know, they're just plugged right back into wherever they, whatever they were doing before. Now, am I saying, on the one hand, I could be very judgmental. And I could be like, well, no, they've, there's no hope for them. But there has to be a recognition of what I've done wrong. And how much, there has to be a repentance. I've seen, I've observed young people. 
I've observed young people, Christian young people, who just go live together. And then, oh, I remember this, the story, who I was talking with. I was talking with my, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law about some things that they have seen in their Christian sphere with young people who raised to know the word, and then they go off into a premarital relationship for a year, a couple of years, and then they decide to get married, which we should celebrate that. Don't you agree? We should celebrate that. However, it's just everything just picks up as if nothing was done wrong. Now, we're not talking about people getting saved and then getting married. I think that's a totally different situation because those are people living a worldly life because they're unsaved. They don't know the Lord. Now they get saved. Like, oh, we better change this. Yeah, I'm all about celebrating that one. But when a Christian has knowingly walked into unchristian behavior and then wants to just step back into it as if nothing happened, we've got a problem in the church. Wouldn't you agree? That's a problem. To him that knows to do right, there's greater responsibility for the one. Now, it's difficult because on the one hand, I want to celebrate that they made the right decision. But their first in that example, there first needs to be an acknowledgement that what we did was wrong. It was wrong before God. Now, why is that not, why is that so important for them? Why is it so important for them? Is this just like me being like old-fashioned and like we got to have standards around here? Why is it important for them? this, or why right. would I be accepted with that? And if nobody's going to confront me or call me on it, then I guess no harm, no foul. It's almost like a, a you know, it's like a get out of jail free card, you know? It's, yeah, it sets you, you up for further mistakes. failure within sin if you're not going to be called out on it. Right. And, and, or at least self-recognize it, because if you don't recognize yourself, you don't think you did anything wrong. Right. So you are, you, by never dealing with the first sin... And never dealing with the first one, you're setting yourself up for future, future sins. You've, you've hardened your heart. Basically, there's something, and we're not talking about gray areas. We're talking about crystal clear, this is what God says. When you disobey that and never confess and repent, and you just want to move on, you've hardened your heart against the Holy Spirit. So you put yourself in a very dangerous position. You've also established, in that scenario, they've also established their relationship on an unholy footing. So they've, they've, the, the foundation of their relationship is sinful. So I would, I would just encourage you, young, young men and women in here, like as you enter into relationships, these, that, that's an area in our life where we see a lot of failure. And maybe you have failed. I'm not here to beat down on you. If there's somebody who has failed God in that area, get it right. Like, and, 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 and because there is a wonderful process, you got to go through the difficult valley of repentance and you come out and there's wonderful embrace and restoration. And, and like, it's the devil who wants to trap you in guilt and shame. It's the devil who wants you to think, oh, I messed up and th this is it and, and whatever. So I'm just going to move on. Both of those things are wrong. You're, there's a blessing when you confess and forsake and you start your walk with God afresh and anew.
That needs to happen. And, um, yeah. So we've got to acknowledge and go on. Anybody had any thoughts on that? Or, yeah. That teach our kids that. Teach our kids that. Because, you know, if, you te- if you're not going to call your own kids out on mistakes and failures that they've made, it's easier to teach someone when they're younger to bring somebody to the Lord than sometimes it is an adult. Yep. That's... Because you don't want to admit that you failed. Well, that's why if you read the book of Proverbs, which is filled with parenting advice, it talks about the importance of instilling in them a proper fear of God, fear of the Lord. Um... Because, yeah, that if that's instilled at a young age, it, ten, it, it keeps our hearts tender at that point in life. Okay? All right. So, when mature believers fail, they acknowledge their failure and learn from their mistakes. Um, 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I would say this, how does that verse relate? I I would say that in the sense that you and I are responsible to know what God's word says about these things. We don't have an excuse like, well, I didn't know. We have a responsibility uh, to study and to, to, to know the word of God. So moving on through this, there's a few more. Mature believers grow through the failure. They will know and act on certain truths. Now, this scripture kind of ties in with what we had just talked about. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As you study 1 John, where this verse comes from, I don't believe that this is a salvation verse. I don't think this verse has to do with the moment we become Christians. If you look at the context of the book, it seems to be dealing with the fact of people who are Christians and their walk with God, their fellowship with God. That's how I understand 1 John. And so there's this idea that as we walk with God, Christ's blood once for all is the payment for our sins. But there is a a daily cleansing or a periodic cleansing that we need that to keep our walk with God close. Because when we have unconfessed sin in our lives, it, it creates a, a, a wall in our relationship with Him. I think the best example of this, John the Apostle also gives us in the upper room with Peter getting his feet washed by Jesus. There's this interesting exchange where Jesus, Peter says, no, don't, don't, don't wash my feet. I, I should be washing your feet. And Jesus says, if I don't, if I don't wash you, you have, you have no part in me. And Peter says, oh, Lord, then don't just wash my feet, but wash what? Yeah, wash all of me. And, Peter, and Jesus basically says to him this. He says, no, he that is clean doesn't need to be fully washed. Basically, if I could paraphrase it, Jesus says, Peter, you don't need to be fully washed. You just need your feet cleaned right now. And I think this is the idea of 1 John is that we are washed in the blood of Jesus. We are, before God, we are cleansed and we are righteous. But we pick up sin through our Christian journey, and we need the confession to reset and cleanse us again and anew. 
So don't let these unconfessed sins rob you of the happiness of your Christian success. Okay. Now, these last two are interesting. The mature believer will be one who understands that there are different kinds of failure. Now, most of what we've talked about in the last few minutes has been the failure and sin. But there are different kinds of failure as well. Like sometimes, sometimes, like I said before, things just don't work out how you hoped that they would. And there's worldly failures. It's not that you did anything wrong. It's not that you're... Um, it's not that you're a, um, a bad Christian, you don't love Jesus, it's that you're a human being and you failed. You failed. And so you just got to get back up and trust that God is going to work it out for you. Yeah. There's a lot of obstacles. One of the obstacles that can jump out. Yeah. 100%. A lot of unexpected things that we encounter in life. And, and, and there's a difference, too, between, there's also a difference between somebody who knowingly and willfully decides to disobey God. I mean, you've thought it through. You've thought it through. And you just decided, no, I'm going to do this, even though I know it's wrong. And then there's other things that happen in our life. They are sinful, but they're not the same willful sinfulness. You know what I mean? It's like you're in an interaction with somebody and you said the wrong thing. Now, I'm not making an excuse for that. But I think we all understand this is, those are those things of the flesh that were just, oh, Lord, make me better, make me stronger, help me to not do that again. Right? There's a difference there. So we've got to understand that God is still working on us. He's still, in, he's still improving us. Like, for instance... You might have been a Christian that struggled with language. Or, or uh, before you became a Christian, you might have used a lot of profanity. Okay? Now, you're, you're working on getting that out of your life. But it's a brain muscle memory thing. And it's just like, boom, it, it came out. It came out. Now, there, th we understand those are struggles of the flesh, right? That we're going to battle against. And we need to rely on God's grace. But then on the other hand, there's willful moments where you know the Holy Spirit is convicting you. I shouldn't say what I'm about to say. And you just let it out knowingly anyhow. It's two different things, right? So we, we need to, when, when those things happen, and I think our walk with the, with the Lord is a little bit different there. These are the points where we need to have this serious confession but then sometimes I do think Christians need to get, I don't know, cut themselves a little bit of slack when they're walking with the Lord and say, Lord, oh, this happened again. Thank you for your grace. Make me better here. Paul says it this way. He says in Philippians 3, not as though I had already attained either, um, I don't have the blank in front of me, so I, yeah, either we're already perfect Perfection hasn't happened yet. I'm going to make mistakes. Hopefully, I'm not going to get into willful disobedience, 
but I'm going to make sinful mistakes. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus. I love that apprehended. It means to grab out, to take a hold of, literally take into apprehension. Brethren, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. That God is creating something new in me for tomorrow. God is creating a new me. He's rest- so these failures in my life, God can work that out. He can take me to the next level. And then the final one is basically how we started today. The mature believer is one who understands the importance of choosing the right standard of measurement to determine success and failure. And that standard is not a monetary standard. It's not a um, physical standard. It's a standard of God's word and our walk with him. That's what defines real success. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and thank you for the truths of your word that are here to challenge and encourage us. Please bless the rest of our service today. Bless the worship service in a few minutes. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.